Benjamin Franklin, the polymath and founding father, once said an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. But it seems to me the best educators are the ones who do more than invest in our academic knowledge. They invest in our lives. They're the ones who want us to succeed not just in our education, but throughout our lifetime. In today's episode of Rags of Light, we'll meet one of those special people, a man who often knew his students as well as they knew themselves. This episode is called Doug, and it's dedicated to all our awesome educators who devote their lives to the success and well-being of their students and families. I'm Mark Giuliano, and you're listening to Rags of Light, where ordinary people's extraordinary stories help light our way. Shoulder to shoulder, I know we'll find a way. Shoulder to shoulder, we'll build a better day. And I don't know about tomorrow, and I don't know about today. But in the deep of the darkest night, oh Lord, I know you'll light, I know you'll light the way. His name wasn't particularly memorable. It was Doug. Doug is hardly an uncommon name, especially for a Canadian. In fact, a few years back, one famous author remarked that at one time, Doug was the most common name for boys in Canada. Then again, that author's name was also Doug, Douglas Copeland. Of course, I never dared to call the Doug of this story Doug. I wasn't on a first-name basis with him nor should I have been. Doug was my grade school principal at Central Public School on Norfolk Street in the sleepy suburb of South Windsor, Ontario. No, I addressed Doug as Mr. Ferguson. Oh, behind his back, like some of the other kids at Central, I might have called him Gus or old Gus, as if he were some big old faithful St. Bernard or a lovable Newfoundland dog, even though I must admit I never knew why we were calling him Gus. I'd just heard some of the older kids do it and figured they knew something about our grade school principal that I didn't. I was content trusting that whatever the reason was that the big kids called him Gus, I'd figure it out in time although I never did. I did learn, though, something else pretty amazing about Doug. Oops, I mean Mr. Ferguson. I learned that there are people out there who care, genuinely care about the awkward, hey, your flies down, runny-nosed kids in this world, teachers and principals, educators and all those good and decent folks who willingly set aside fame and fortune prestige and the perceived high-drama excitement of other vocations and career choices simply because they know in their heart of hearts that our kids matter. They understand more than most that if the world fails the kids, well, the world fails, period. For old Gus, 
I mean Mr. Ferguson. It wasn't just about doing the job, checking off the boxes for the monthly report to the Board of Education, which I'm sure he had to do. And it wasn't about hammering down the heavy hand of discipline on his teachers or the students. No, for him, it was about being in an authentic relationship with every single kid under his care and with their families as their school principal. It was about knowing the kids, what made them tick, what was the thing that was most likely going to help them succeed or get them into trouble on any given day. He knew our minds and he knew our spirits, what motivated us and what inspired us. I'd come to Central midterm from a school in the suburbs of Toronto. Every kid knows it's tough to start a new school mid-year, and even harder to make new friends after the train of that new school year has long since left the station. Kids are already in their assigned seats. I was jumping on mid-journey, and knew how hard it was going to be to find my place. But that first day, before he walked me down the long hallway to introduce me to my new homeroom teacher, Miss McIntosh, and my new classmates, Mr. Ferguson and I just hung out in his office, shooting the breeze, him asking lots of questions about my old school and the friends I had left behind, and me shifting my eyes here and there as inconspicuously as I could, seeing if I could spot the place where the strap or the paddle was hiding. I was sure that it had to be in there somewhere, but secretly prayed that I'd never have to find out. Mr. Ferguson was a broad-shouldered, towering man. To me, he looked like Gregory Peck in some old Western movie a defender of the underdog. You got a sense that Mr. Ferguson was more interested in helping you succeed academically and in life than he was in catching you while you were up to no good. It wasn't too much longer after I started at Central that I got myself into a bit of trouble. Like a lot of kids in our school, I had volunteered to be a patrol a junior-level side-street crossing guard, and not just because I got to wear a funky-looking neo-Nazi orange belt of power, but I could also earn the promise of a springtime, citywide trip to Boblo Island Amusement Park with patrols from schools throughout the city at year's end. The job of being a patrol was basically just to stand around at the corner blocking kids with your arms from walking across the street if there were cars, or dropping your arms and telling them to cross or go when the coast was clear. Sometimes things were slow for patrols, though. You had to find ways of entertaining yourself. How was I to know that you weren't supposed to be firing snowballs at passing cars? I'd just moved to town a month or so earlier. And how was I to know that the car I broadsided, driver's side window, with my big slushy snowball, was the principal's secretary? Ugh! No sooner than we'd sung O Canada and mumbled our way through the Lord's Prayer that morning in homeroom class, the principal's secretary chimed into our classroom over the PA system. 
I trembled at the words no student ever wants to hear. Miss McIntosh, would you please send Mark Giuliano down to the principal's office? Immediately? Ooh, all the kids in my class taunted. I stood and walked to the door, feeling as if I was walking out to meet the firing squad. The knot in my stomach tightened with every step. Just as I left the classroom and walked into the hallway, I'm sure I heard some kid behind me call out, Dead man walking! When I arrived at Mr. Ferguson's office, he was already standing out in the front reception area, the pit, waiting for me with his secretary. Welcome, Mr. Giuliano, he greeted me with a smile that I wasn't ready to trust. And every kid knows that whenever a parent or a teacher or a principal uses your last name, you're really in trouble. This is my secretary, he said. I believe you saw her driving her car on the way to school this morning while you were on patrol. Ack! She knew it was me. I was hoping she wouldn't have noticed which kid at the corner of Norfolk and Morris had hurled the two-pound chunk of ice and snow at the window of her car. Head level. I was busted. She knew it. I knew it. And now Mr. Ferguson knew it. I was sure to find out where the strapper paddle was hiding this day. Mr. Ferguson swung open the door to his office, waved a long Gregory Peck arm toward the chamber inside, and said, Please, step inside my office for a moment. I inched forward at a snail's pace, listening to the death march thrumming inside of my head. But once inside the office, Mr. Ferguson and I just sat and talked for a while. He asked me how the move was going. Did I miss my friends? Had I made new friends? He didn't pull out a paddle from his desk. He didn't reach into a cabinet to reveal a leather strap with fabled metal and glass shards embedded in it. It was just a friendly chat with the principal. Maybe this was his diabolical plan, I wondered. Get me off balance with his gentle giant friendliness. Build up a false confidence and then whammo, let me have it when I least expected it. But the attack never came. Before we wrapped up, he simply said, By the way, Mr. Giuliano, we don't allow students to throw snowballs at cars in this school. Is that understood? And after I mumbled my very most sincere, Yes, sir, he said, Good. Now go on back to class, you big snowball thrower. And please, apologize to my secretary on your way out. Which I did, as best as any somewhat repentant sixth grader could do. When I got back to the class, I came into the room blowing on my hands as if they were still on fire, burning from the strap. When my friends at recess would ask me what happened in Mr. Ferguson's office, I figured they'd find a story about the heavy hand of discipline far easier to swallow than the truth. Go back to class, you big snowball thrower you? Who'd ever believe that? 
Mr. Ferguson always surprised me with less law and more grace. One year, our teachers went on strike, walked right out of the school and marched for a better contract. When we kids arrived at school and learned of the strike, we started dancing, quite literally. <laughs> you see, we were sent to the gymnasium, where Mr. Ferguson divided us up into small groups and almost single-handedly taught the entire student body how to square dance. He wasn't about to send away any of his kids to get in trouble at home or out on the street. For many of us, there were no parents at home during the day. Oh, we grumbled a little, wishing the strike would bless us with something akin to a snow day. But when it came down to it, I think most of us had a blast learning how to alaman left and alaman right and to do -si do our partners. In fact, I believe that it was the very first time I ever really danced with a girl. Much appreciated, Gus. I mean, Mr. Ferguson. Many years later, 30 years to be exact, I was now 43 years old, a pastor and a professor living in Savannah, Georgia. And I was honored to be asked to come home to Windsor, Ontario and preach at the Glenwood United Church one Sunday during the congregation's 50th year. Glenwood is the church where I grew up. Mr. Ferguson was a member there, too. It's the church where I was confirmed, where Beth and I were married, and where I first heard the whispers of a call to ordain ministry. I recall that the church was all decked out for the anniversary. There were balloons and streamers inside the sanctuary. The lawn and gardens had been carefully manicured for the occasion. Even the church sign out front was carefully worded to invite the entire neighborhood to worship that Sunday, followed by a barbecue in the hall and out in the yard. Some old friends and I from confirmation class and youth group days got together for a little reunion the Saturday night before I was to preach. Clearly, we were all caught up by the festive spirit of the church's 50th anniversary, and things did get just a little out of hand for some true grown-up fun. Sometime after midnight, armed with a cordless power screwdriver, we hiked over to the church with our brilliant plan of unlocking and opening up the church sign so that we could change up the letters to create an invitation all of our own. In the morning, there were a whole lot of folks quite troubled by what they read on that sign as they pulled up to the church for the special service. As I recall, the sign read something like, 50th anniversary, beers and brew and barbecue too, 10.30 a.m. Of course, some good folks from the property committee quickly fixed the sign, but the damage had already been done. A few folks feigned anger, others feigned hurt, Generally, though, the sign left most folks buzzing with curiosity about the mystery of who might have meddled with their sign overnight. During the service that day, I preached my very best sermon for the anniversary, alluding ever so subtly to the mischievous sign caper that had occurred overnight, 
without revealing even the slightest hint of who may have been responsible for this great unhappiness of the year 2005. Following the service, I stood in the narthex at the back of the church and greeted worshippers as they exited the sanctuary and headed out to the lawn for the barbecue. There was, of course, no beer or brew. I was delightfully surprised to see waiting in line to greet me, Doug Ferguson, still looking to me very much like a distinguished Gregory Peck. My goodness, I wondered. I don't think I've seen Mr. Ferguson in over three decades. Not since I graduated from the eighth grade, anyway. When he got close, instead of shaking my hand, Mr. Ferguson reached his arms all the way around my back. He locked me firmly into one of his great big bear hugs and then spoke quietly into my ear. He said, Mark, I wonder if I'm the only one in this entire church who knows who changed the letters on that church sign last night. Ack! After all these years, he busted me again. Forty-three years old, and he could still spot the fruits of my misdeeds. He could see my fingerprints all over them. He could read me like an old book. And you know what? I loved him all the more for it. To think that after thirty years, Mr. Ferguson still knew me as well as perhaps I knew myself and could spot the handiwork of my playful and mischievous spirit a mile away. Later that evening, as Beth's and my plane lifted off from Detroit en route to Savannah, I leaned my head back in my seat and smiled. My heart was filled with gratitude, wonder, and even a little amazement that after all those years, Mr. Ferguson knew me as well as he did. It made me feel great and a little less lonely in the world to know that someone had cared that much about my small life when I was just a snowball-throwing punk from the sleepy suburb of South Windsor, Ontario. I think the world needs a whole lot more Mr. Ferguson's. People who, rather than throw the book at you when you're in trouble, will just check in to make sure you're doing all right. Or teach you how to square dance in the school gym before they'd let you go home to an empty house. We need more people like my grade school principal. People who are so truly and profoundly invested in your success. Not just academically, but also in life that they still know you by spirit, even decades later. I hope Mr. Ferguson feels as known and as loved by God and the good people in his life as he made us students feel all those years ago. Thank you, Mr. Ferguson. I mean, thank you, Doug. Hey everybody, Mark Giuliano here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Rags of Light. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend or family member, or someone who might need just a little inspiration today. Rags of Light, where ordinary people's extraordinary stories help light the way. Shoulder to shoulder, I know we'll find a way. Shoulder to shoulder, we'll build a
this night alone. 